Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thank you. I got like a solid B on my remembering of Psalm 23, and I'm preaching. So uh, if you mumble through some of those, um, you're in good company, I guess, maybe. My absolute favorite question to ask somebody who I was working with when uh, I was counseling men on parole was, how did you get here? How did you get here? Uh, Because their answer um, would reveal a lot about who they are. I would ask, so how did you get here? How did you get through the rigors of prison? And there were only really two answers. The one answer and the most predominant answer was, I toughed it out. I'm a tough guy. I've got friends in prison. I just, I learned the rules and I just kept my head down. And it was all about fitting in. It was all about asserting their strength. It was all about following the cues of the crowd and their own power. How did you get through prison? I got through prison because of me. And then there was a few, a very small few, who would say, I wept every night, I was fearful every day, and I trusted God, and he led me through. Next slide. And I'll just point, like last time. You don't have to remember this, but we we were in Psalm 23 the last time I came, and we'll be in Psalm 23 the next time I come. And we said that a shepherd is one that leads feeds and meets all of our needs. And this morning, we're going to look at He Leads Me. He Leads Me. Um, I'm very excited to hear about the prospect of a family coming to shepherd you. How are you guided when we have major decisions to make. What exactly is the impetus? Do, are we like the majority, and this is not just offenders, but are we like the majority of people that say, I chart my own path. I sift through the data. I evaluate the pros and the cons, the risks and the rewards, and then I come to a rational sound, unbiased decision. Who got their vaccines? You know, don't raise your hand. I'm not, it's, not, it's not a poll. Um, you just revealed your medical information to me, and you know, I'm not qualified. 
whether you did or you didn't, with the descriptors I used, rational, data-driven, um, unbiased, but other people didn't, or they did, and they all said the same thing. I came to my decision, I was led to my choice because of A, I've got bad news for all of us, because there's overwhelming data that we are the crappiest, that's a technical clinical term, the crappiest, <laughs> the worst, the most biased, the most prejudiced, the biggest followers, the biggest people pleasers, when it comes to making choices and decisions. And thank God, in Psalm 23, he says, he leads me, he guides me. Why? Because we need leading and we need guidance. Jesus said this about his sheep, that they will recognize his voice that they will follow him and that they know him and that they actually, the sheep actually run away from different voices, unfamiliar voices, dangerous voices. And that is the picture of shepherding. Um, there's, a, there's a doctor by the name of Timothy Laniac. Timothy went into, the, went into uh, Iraq and he followed shepherds for a whole year. And he writes this book, While Shepherds Watch Their Flock. And he makes this very keen observation about leadership. We have this idea that in leadership, you have to be out in front. And that's true. The shepherds would oftentimes lead their sheep out in front. And that would be because they'd be protecting their flock from predators. They'd be scouting ahead, they'd be, and they'd be calling, as Jesus said in John, and the sheep would be following. So the shepherd's in front. But he also made a different observation. The shepherds oftentimes led from the back. From the back. Why? Because as sheep would graze, and you're around an agricultural area, sheep would tend to graze on someone's farm. And so the shepherds would have to go behind the sheep and say, let's get going. This isn't my property. This isn't my grass. Or they knew that the sun was setting and the sheep had to be at a particular place before the sun set. So if you lead in front, if you have got kids and you've tried to say, okay, time to go, let's leave, let's leave the park, let's leave the water park, and you, try, you lead from the front with your kids out of a water park, you're going for a walk because the kids aren't going to follow you, because they don't want to follow. You have to sometimes lead from behind, and sometimes the shepherds lead from in the mist, in the middle of the sheep, when they need comfort. God, as the ultimate shepherd, does all three. God leads based on our needs. Sometimes God needs to lead us from the front, and we need to follow. And sometimes God leads us from the back because we're stubborn, and we don't want to move, and we don't want to listen, and we want to do what we want to do, and we want to stay where we want to stay. Next slide. We see this in the Exodus. The Israelites 
are being guided and shepherd by, shepherded by God in the wilderness. And we see these things. The Lord went ahead of them in a cloud of pillar to guide them, nakah them on the way. Nakah is a general guidance. It's a guidance from in front. And as we see, God's leading them from in front. But there were times also in Exodus where it says, your strength, you gently led me. Nahal. It's a gentle guidance. It's a guidance where the shepherd sits and the sheep gather and he tends to the sheep. He looks at the sheep. He ministers them. This one has a disease. This one's wounded. And he's able to, in the midst of them, lead them and nurture them. And he also leads from the back. It says, God, but he led his people like sheep and directed them, Nahag, Nahag. He Nahagged them in the wilderness like a flock, meaning God got behind them and said, let's go. This is a leadership of will. God, in, God puts his will into something and he leads you out of something. One of the greatest challenges that we have is indecision. How do we choose a path? How do we choose a thing? It all looks good. There's, we only have so much information. How, are we, how do we lead? How do we direct? God is doing two things. He's doing three things. The third thing I'll talk about next time I'm here, which is the guidance with us through the valley of life. When we go through the valleys of life, God is with us, beside us, because we know that, because the sheep can see his club and his rod and his staff are a comfort, and he's right there with them. This morning, we're going to look at driving and drawing. Driving from behind, what's the purpose of being led from behind? And are you malleable? Are you humble? Are you receptive to God's driving? Because I'm tell- here, if you don't hear anything, hear this. If you won't let God's leadership drive you, he's not going to draw you. He's not going to guide you. The problem is some of us, when I come and say God wants to tell you or guide you in your life, he wants to lead you, a lot of us are saying, Frank, that is useless information to me because I've tried to listen to God. Or I did listen to God, and I'm in a huge mess. God has not left us alone. God will lead us, it's a promise. And he, the way he leads is he drives and he draws us. And the first thing I want you to see is the driving. And what does he drive us by? He drives us away from people who do not follow God. I said earlier that we are the worst at making decisions. People are the worst at making decisions because we overinflate our knowledge and we overinflate the crowd. Well, if everyone's doing this, this must be right. Or if no one's doing this, or we all think this is wrong, it must be wrong. And so we have this sense, we have bias confirmation, and we have um, all these things that are working against us. God is driving us. 
Will you listen? The first aspect of driving is he's driving you away from the culture. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong, is Exodus 32. Look at Romans 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We make a lot of our decisions based on just wanting to fit in, just wanting to fit in at work, not wanting to rock the boat at school. At the family events, let's just, we'll, we'll accept, we won't even accept, we'll join in, just so that we're a part of something. We do things because other people do things. We have in us, God made us this way, we're social, and we have a herd mentality. And there's a lot of people that say they buck against that, and they say, I don't follow the crowd. I don't look at YouTube. I watch BitChute. Listen, you're with your BitChute crowd, and other people are with their YouTube crowd, but you're still in the crowd, and we're being influenced, and we have to understand what influences us, and it has to be God. Do not copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. Because if you do, if you do follow the behaviors and customs of this world, if you do buy into social justice paradigms, if you are buying into socialism or capitalism, if you buy into either of those systems, you cannot know the good and pleasing and perfect will of the Father. Why is God driving me away from the culture and the people? Because, next slide, 1 John, 1 John 3.8 says this, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you. Meaning, don't let your friends deceive you. Don't let your relatives deceive you, co-workers, the systems of the world. Don't let anyone deceive you. Listen, when people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. It's not that you're not following anyone, it's you're looking for the people who are righteous. But when people keep on sinning, when people continue to go to the bars, when they continue to make bad mistakes relationally, when they continue to cut corners and get as much money as they can at the expense of their workers, at the expense of the government, if they keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to who? These are my words. This is not Frank's idea. Who do they belong to in John? The devil. This is, I don't sit up here and I'm not comfortable, but this is true. This is God's word. If the culture and if people are sinning and doing wrong, it says they belong to the devil. And we cannot be a part of that. We have to separate. We have to find those who are righteous. Now, next slide. Let me just say this. Now, some of you are sitting here and are saying to yourself, are you telling me I can't have any friends who don't see the world the way I see it? I can't have any friends that are not Christians. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. John says, do not love the world or anything that belongs to the world. If you love the world, you cannot love the Father. John saying, don't love the world. And then in the Gospel of John, it says, God so loved the world. The world is two different things. One idea of the world means the world, the systems of the world. 
the, so, the, the social systems of the world, again, um, so, social justice and these types of things. I'm not going to get into all that. Those are systems of the world. John says, God says, don't love those things, but we are supposed to love the world, the people of the world, the people of the world. Next slide. Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? Have you ever heard this before? What's a thermometer do? It shows what's happening. It doesn't, what's a, what's a thermostat do? It controls the temperature. You are to be a thermostat. You are to control your environment. You're not to be affected by your environment. You're not to reflect what the environment is. You're not to concede to your workplace morals and standards. You are to be a thermostat. You are to change the workplace. You're to change how people think and how they behave. Little by little, you're either going to be affected and you're just going to represent or you're just going to exhibit what everyone else says is right, or you'll be a thermostat. And God's calling Christians to be the salt and light of the world, and that is a thermostat. They are the influencers. They affect their, their milieu, not the other way around. But if we're going to do this successfully, we have to acknowledge that God is driving us. He is behind us saying, this relationship's not good. This place you're going's not right. And he's driving you away. What is he driving you away from? Who is he driving you away from? Ask him before you leave. He's also driving us away, next slide, from our circumstances. Here's how many Christians make their decisions. They'll say something along these lines. They're late for their flight to Dallas, and they say, it must not have been God's will for me to get on that plane. They'll say, I didn't get that job, so it must not have been God's will for me not to, for me not to get that job. We base our idea, our decision-making, we become fatalists. Our, our circumstances are not how we make decisions. If there's, a sing, if there's only one single guy in your class, you don't say, well, he's the only single guy in my class, so I must have to date him or her. That is a bad idea because circumstances do not they can play a part, because some of you are going, oh, no, 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 wait a second, God organized all this. I'm going to get to that part. But if you're just basing all your decisions on circumstances, Jonah did the right thing. Jonah had made it to Tarshish. He was on the ocean. He had money for a ticket, and he got on the boat. And the boat took him in. Those are circumstances but we know that's not what happened. Next slide, God didn't like that. Paul says, guys, listen, in Acts 27, if we go on this cruise, if we don't actually, if we don't actually winter in this city, if we keep pressing forward in the boat, we're going to lose everything, maybe even our own lives. And the sailors look at the sky, look at the weather and said, no, we've got a green light, we're going. And we know that they were shipwrecked. We cannot solely base our decisions 
on circumstances. God wants his children to mature and move past circumstances. We have to, he's driving us away from people and away from the philosophies of the world. He's driving us through this um, fake spirituality about just assessing our circumstances. Just because, and let me just say this, and I don't know anything about anything. Why is he preaching then? But <laughs> what I mean is, I don't know what the future is. But just because you have someone to dance with doesn't mean you dance with them. Right? I'm going to get into what we, how do we make decisions. But I just want us to move past some of these things that we accept as true and they're not true. Next is he's also pushing us past our feelings. This is big. Do you know that your feelings often lie to you? Do you know that sometimes the healthiest thing you can say to yourself is, you're lying. You're lying. God hasn't left me. I'm not a loser. Here's the thing. If we base our decision-making on our feelings, we're going to be staggering like that drunk man in James, going one from one thing to the next to the next. Do you know that um, there are euthanasia laws that have come into play in Canada? Have you heard of this? And the language in these euthanasia laws have perked up the ears of psychologists and psychiatrists because the language is very, very vague. And here's the truth. If you are suffering from moderate to severe suicidal ideation, meaning that you want to kill yourself, and you've got serious depression, within the framework of that law, you as a suicidal person can ask to be murdered, ask to have your life end because you feel so down and so depressed that you, you just cannot go another day. But here's the problem. When we track with people who are either moderately or severely suicidal after one year, 75% of those people are not sad anymore. That tells us that if we actually were to take someone's life at the depths of their despair, the odds are that they would have recovered within a year from their depression. We cannot trust our feelings. Our feelings are powerful. They're gifts from God, but they have to be informed. Our circumstances can be a clue, but they have to be informed. And how are they informed? Let's drive past <laughs> some of these slides so we, can, so we can end in a good time. The slide driving and drawing. God is drawing us to want his will first. Here's the thing. We have to actually want God's will in our lives. The reason why we don't experience all of God's best, the reason why we cannot discern his good, pleasing, and perfect will is because our Needs, our feelings, our interpretation of circumstances are number one and God's number two, really, honestly. And our best assessment of ourselves is always fallacious. Look at John. If anyone's will is to do God's will, 
I just want to just park here for a second. Why I'm parking here is because that statement tells me that I can choose God's will. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I can choose to follow him. And this is really good news because as I mentioned to you before, we have a really bad track record of making decisions. We have a bad track record of saying that something is true and something is right, and then later on it turns out it wasn't so good. It wasn't the right call. But we can, if we want to make better decisions, if we want to make godly sound choices, we can choose that. That's a gift God's given us. Anyone, if anyone's will is to do God's will, they can do it. Do you want God's will? Do you want to follow him? Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. It's a joy to want God's will. It's a joy to follow him. And God's will is found in God's word. You knew I was coming here, right? If you've been here long enough in the church, you know that number two is God is drawing us to look in his word for guidance. God is drawing us to work for his word in guidance. We need to stop listening for a voice for people to tell us, and we need to start looking for a verse of how to live. And when we do daily Bible reading, and when we spend time with him, which is going to be my next point, in our hearts and minds, we begin to have a clearer picture of what God wants me to do, who he wants me to marry, what school he wants me to go to, how do I concede and listen and make plans and make um, changes in my life? What does he actually want me to do? It really does start with God's word. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide me and a light for my path. The shepherd who's driving us, but also drawing us, is a guidance counselor. Just like when we were in high school, there happened to be a person who we didn't know what they actually did at the school, let's be honest, and we, but every once in a while they want to see us, and they say, what are you doing, with, what do you want to do with your life? And you're, you're 16 or 17 going, I don't know, I just want to go home and play Xbox. God meets us where we are, and he nurtures us, and he guides us, and he helps us, but in the midst of his word. Now, you're saying to me, Frank, I read God's word every day, and I'm not hearing from God at all. Next slide. Paul says in Philippians 3.16, only let us live up to what we have already obtained. What does that verse mean? It means that God has told you something. God has told you to stop speaking so bitterly and harshly with your wife. God has told you to stop trying to control everyone in your life. Stop trying to manipulate things. Stop being a victim. Stop being in great, uh, have a, stop having um, a lack of gratitude in your life. See, God will tell you something. And then he expects you to walk in that. And if you don't walk in it, how is God going to give you part two? If you don't do part one. No, I just want the good, pleasing, and perfect part of your will. I don't actually want to have to humble myself 
ask, sacrifice, put other people before me, watch my words, examine my heart, develop a prayer life that's meaningful. No, I just want the last step. I just want the furniture made. That's, I want the chair made. I don't want to have to make the chair. I don't have to go through 58 steps to make a chair. God has told us what to do. Are you doing it? Will you do it? The Holy Spirit, he draws us by the Holy Spirit and we're to ask the Holy Spirit. James 1 says, if you need wisdom, ask. It's interesting, it says that your generous God, he'll give it to you. He's generous, meaning that he's not holding back. He'll give you exactly what you need when you need it. And you're to ask humbly, but we're to ask as if we're going to get it in faith, in faith. And lastly, God is drawing us to listen for his response. Listen for his response. If you want his will and you're in his word and you're praying, i.e. you're asking humbly and you're expecting an answer, are you pressing in? Because he'll talk to you. And here's how he talks to you. He'll talk to you with each other. We're not to be lone rangers when we're making decisions, major decisions. Listen, you guys, so I don't know how it works here, so I'll tell you how it works in my church. If there's a, if there's a candidate for the pastoral position, someone will come and they'll preach, and it's their best sermon. It's the, like no one goes to their first date wearing a dirty shirt, right? And says, oh, I forgot my wallet at home. It doesn't happen. I'm just being real here. Like, I've, you know, you can take what you want from me. But they're going to cut, it's going to be their best. And that's good because you want, you, you, they're going to do their best. And it's, listen, pray for this, man. And it's, it's intimidating. If you've come to do a job interview, I'm talking off script now, but if you go to a job interview, it's just you and maybe a panel of three other people that are grilling you for like 40 minutes. It's a whole weekend of people in your life. It's hard. Where am I going with this? Because he's going to preach and he's going to go away and you guys get to vote. And you're not voting because we're in a democracy. The church is not a democracy. The church is led by Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus builds his church. And we as his children, as his disciples, we are being led by the Spirit, and that's why we vote. Because you can't talk to everybody, but you can vote, and as you're led by the Spirit, and you vote, and you affirm a person, it's the Spirit of God confirming. You've listened. He's, he's answering, and you respond to that, and you move forward, and you move forward. Does that give you hope that you're not making decisions alone, that you don't have to rely on your own self-effort and your own knowledge? Let's face it, we, if we were only left to our own knowledge, we'd all be in big trouble, no matter how smart you are. 
It's God's spirit who resides in us. We respond to that because we pray, humbly asking in faith, Lord, you will give us the right decision. You will meet with us, and we will have that person who you want to shepherd us as the under-shepherd. Job 33, 14, this is the youth Elihu, the youth Elihu who finally pipes up and he says to Job and all his friends, God does speak. See, they thought God was, Job's like, God's silent, look at my suffering. And the friends are going, God's silent because you're a horrible person. And Elihu goes, God's speaking. He's speaking. Zurich, he's speaking to you. He loves you. God does speak, sometimes one way, sometimes another, even though people may not understand it. Here's the good news. You were called to understand it. Last slide, I think. My friend is an airline pilot. This is not mine, this is his, but it's, it's great. The tiniest difference here if you make a tiny adjustment, if you move just a degree one way or the other way, over the course of time, you will end up exactly in the wrong place. So if you start off for Los Angeles, but you just have a degree off, by the time you make it across Canada, you could be in Vancouver. Here's the good news. If you change how you pray, if you change how you listen to God, if you change how you interact with each other, you don't rely on circumstances, you're not going to just totally follow your feelings. If you make these small choices, God, when he speaks to you, he'll change the trajectory. He'll change your destination. He'll change where you end up. And he'll change who you end up to be because this is very important. Our choices accumulate into the people who we want, who we're going to be. Our choices accumulate into the people who we're going to be. And God's saying, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to drive you. I'm going to draw, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to change you to be like my son. If you start making changes, if you stop listening to your feelings that are lying to you, if you stop following the wrong people, and then you're, in, you're reading about this stuff and go, yeah, that's right, the church is garbage, the church is antiquated, it doesn't know what it's talking about, I'm going to be on the right side of history. The problem with being on the right side of history is when you read history, they're always wrong. Just be on the right side. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's leading you, and I'm praying for you. You have, a, you have dear friends in, in, um, in Grand Band who love you very, very much and are praying for you. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who has promised to lead and guide us and Lord, I know that I spoke in generalities, but Lord, would you make it very specific for us? There are families who are wondering about health outcomes and the best medical procedures to follow, Lord, would you guide? 
There are young minds and hearts who want to follow you, but are being obscured and being hindered by people and ideas and philosophies, and they don't know how to come out on the other side. Lord, would you guide them? Father God, there are some of us that are so embattled, oppressed by our emotions, by our depression and our anxieties, that we can't even get out of bed. Lord, would you guide us? Lord, would you remind us that in guiding, it doesn't mean that I get my way. It means I'll be like you. Help us to be guided by you and to have your yoke and to come under it faithfully and consistently. So as we make decisions, you are changing our lives to become like you. We pray this in Jesus' name with all of our hearts. Amen.